Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. Uh, Once again, another timely and important topic. Uh, We just recently talked about mental health, and this uh, dovetails on that as we talk to three of our subject matter experts as we uh, look at PTSD Awareness Month. And my guests today are Dr. Teresa Bartlett, Managing Director uh, for Managed Care at Sedgwick, Dr. Rima Hamoud, Assistant Vice President, Clinical Pharmacy for Sedgwick, and Dr. Paul Peake, VP Clinical Pharmacy for Sedgwick. Uh, thank you all three for being here today, and I know you all bring a lot of uh, expertise uh, to this topic. So let's just jump right in and start with you, Dr. Peake, and uh, you know, give a give us a definition. How do we define PTSD for those who still may not be aware of exactly what that is. Sure. Well, PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, and PTSD is a mental health condition that's triggered by a a terrifying event, either experiencing it or or witnessing it. We often associate PTSD with military veterans who have experienced trauma on the battlefield, yet, of course, it can also happen in other circumstances where – It can be abuse or witnessing violence or even witnessing a terrible car accident or living through a natural disaster. And, of course, it's really important to understand that you might have two people who go through and experience the same event, but perhaps only one person realizes a certain trauma from that event and actually ends up experiencing the PTSD. And the important thing that's also really critical for PTSD is there are certain symptoms that that define it as PTSD, and there's really kind of four main categories. You've got intrusion symptoms, so symptoms where that event is is re-experienced, either through unwanted memories or flashbacks or nightmares. And then there are avoidance symptoms where the person may find themselves avoiding certain activities or certain places or feelings or thoughts. And then you also have negative impact to mood and cognitive ability, where people can just develop negative thoughts and perspectives about themselves have a negative effect overall, and then just find themselves feeling isolated. And that last category is symptoms tied to arousal and reactivity, where the person might be constantly irritable, uh, but they're also, like, hypervigilant, looking out for danger. Uh, They're easily startled, and then having a hard time concentrating and having a hard time falling asleep. Excellent definition uh, covered, I think, uh, what uh, we, we see a lot. Uh, Dr. Hamoud, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, when we look at claim identification? Uh, so unlike a physical injury, uh, PTSD is not something that just gets diagnosed on day one of a, a claim. Uh, can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So PTSD is often determined at the point when the claim is actually experiencing a delayed in recovery. But it's not always obvious when or how it will happen, and it doesn't necessarily even from the actual injury or the actual claim. It could have been any circumstances that led to a re-triggering of that event. So like Dr. Pete mentioned, that veterans could experience a re-triggering of an event. So they might have experienced PTSD in the past or had a traumatic event because they served um, in military and then they're fine. Years later, they have another job, and a traumatic experience happens at the job or like a violent war event at work. So those 
old emotions can resurface, and oftentimes that could lead to PTSD. So we're not quite sure, you know, when and how that would happen. And medical treatment guidelines have a detailed on have recommendations on comprehensive psychological and psychiatric assessments for specific cases, including workers with chronic pain, or if they're experiencing delayed recovery, or patients with underlying PTSD. And there are an array of screening tools that work complicated stakeholders could utilize to identify workers with psychosocial factors. Because if you don't identify them early on, you would experience delayed recovery. And when I say psychosocial factors or biological or environmental factors, it's something that they experience as childhood abuse or sexual violence, um, physical assault or traumatic accident, anything that they might have experienced in the past, um, having that type of assessment can help the nurse or the physician identify people who might be at risk for developing PTSD later during the life of the crime. So if you identify those events early on, that can help with recovery. And Dr. Bartlett, uh, when we talk about claim examples, uh, PTSD claims are sometimes tricky due to the shifting nature and from a workers' compensation and disability perspective, uh, may go unrecognized. What, uh, what can you tell us regarding that? Good question. There, you know, if you, if you're looking for examples of PTSD in the workplace, um, I think, um, there are all kinds of acts of violence as we hear or read about in the news and press, um, in the workplace. And it's unfortunately becoming more and more common in schools, financial institutions, and in retail. Um, situations where, you know, most commonly we see acts of violence. These are the obvious ones. Then there are the serious injuries where uh, maybe an individual got stuck in a machine or um, had a severe crush injury, and it may not even be the person who was stuck in the machine. It could be someone who witnessed that or inadvertently caused that event, and then um, people in the immediate area who are exposed to near-death situations, it causes them to relive the event over and over. And as you heard from Dr. Peake in the beginning, that is a, a key element of PTSD is to be to relive it. But the the very key component is that the person who saw it, witnessed it, or experienced it had to really feel like life was in jeopardy. Um, so I've seen several cases of PTSD, even COVID cases of PTSD that are very valid where um, a person who worked in a healthcare setting was fearful of becoming infected and bringing it home to their family, their children, their spouse, putting them at risk, um, sometimes getting a separate apartment so that they don't expose their family and yet their family became ill anyway and maybe an elderly parent passed away. 
um, the guilt associated with that and the PTSD that maybe they caused that has been something that we've seen. We've also seen cases where um, people have had PTSD from being in isolation and quarantine in the intensive care unit for so long where, um, you know, they didn't know what was real and what wasn't. And not only were they isolated, but the people that interacted with them from a healthcare situation were covered from head to toe in protective equipment and masks and, you know, spacesuits. And um, these hospital workers, some of them are still really suffering the consequences of this and very fearful, even though they've recovered from the COVID, but very fearful to go back into the workplace because of what happened to them. And it can be very traumatic and have long, long consequences. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense and and certainly uh, <laughs> pretty hard for anybody to have gone untouched by that over the last couple of three years. Back to you, Dr. Peek. Uh, everybody's talking about it, artificial intelligence or AI, uh, technology assist claim services, and case management experts. Um, what is the role in it in recognizing and flagging potential PTSD patterns? Uh, is there new information there? Where do you see that going? Oh, absolutely. It feels like, you know, at this point, what can't AI touch at this point? There's so much to consider. Um, and, and that subject, of course, we've embarked um, in, on a partnership using AI to look at different uh, capabilities of, of identifying claims and data elements that we need to review uh, from a claims perspective or from a medical perspective and get it, using that tool in, in the right way possible, kind of fine-tuning that capability. I think with PTSD, it's at some point going to be really helpful with early identification, right, because with these various symptoms and things that can occur, it's not always easy to connect those dots. Um, even in the clinical world, uh, that can take some time to realize someone's got PTSD. So, you know, perhaps it's going to have a role in helping us identify when there perhaps is PTSD on a claim based on certain symptoms and its ability to read through unstructured data and pull out certain information for medical notes to kind of help us make those, uh, have that realization early on in the claim. I think there's a lot to figure out there, not to mention as well, like even tied to, to wearable technology, uh, ways of kind of determining those behavioral markers that can occur when someone's wearing a certain device to know when they're having certain symptoms and how AI can play a role in, in using those various tools, um, whether it's an Apple Watch or something else, to say, hey, this person might have certain anxiety issues or maybe it's tied to PTSD. So there's a host of ways that AI can be utilized in the future, um, even the claims world, to help us identify those claims where PTSD is an issue. Yeah, I think uh... – I think that sounds really exciting, and we certainly at Sedgwick are, are all over that with uh, looking at artificial intelligence and the role that will play. Uh, Dr. Hamoud, this is a great one, and one you've talked about a lot, but one that I think people still are kind of like, what? And that's psychedelics. Uh, you shared in a previous blog that the drug that was once used in spiritual ceremonies, uh, I'm not even going to try to say it, but uh, maybe potentially – may potentially have medicinal <laughs> benefits. <laughs> you know, I just, I'll leave it to the experts to say that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'd like to buy a vowel, please. 
But uh, if you could uh, talk a little bit more about that and its role in uh, PTSD, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. So you can say, like, psilocybin or psilocybin. People say it in different ways. Um, but, yeah, psychedelics is a very fascinating topic to me. And it's new but very old at the same time. So it's been, you know, psychedelics have been used for centuries. But just five years ago, in 2017, FDA granted a breakthrough status to both MDMA and psilocybin. Psilocybin is a mushroom, and MDMA is what's commonly known as molly or ecstasy, putting both of these drugs on a regulatory fast track to approval. So just in the last five years, so much has happened um, in, in this area of psychedelics. Um, when it comes to PTSD, I would focus more on MDMA um, and kind of been trying pronouncing this. It is methylene dioxymethamphetamine. Say that three times really fast. <laughs> so that's MDMA. Um, so MDMA is a psychoactive drug that increases the endogenous release of neurotransmitters such as serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. And it also releases the hormones such as oxytocin. And the thought is that is the primary mediator of the effect or the beneficial effect that we see in mental health. So what it does is it stimulates the social connectedness, empathy, euphoria, and a feeling of communion. And uh, when MDMA is used alongside psychotherapy, it allows participants to revisit the past distressful memory in a state of emotional security and in a very empathetic way. So the studies that are going on um, for the last five years, and actually two were just completed recently, phase three studies on MDMA for, uh, for the use and PTSD patients, these studies were done alongside psychotherapy. In fact, the way it's called is psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. So the um, focus is not so much on the psychedelic. It's more on the psychotherapy part. And it helps participants or patients go into that deep, dark memory, but in a guided setting. So the setting setting is really important. And they're able to revisit that dark memory and then replay it in a more secure fashion. And the hope is that we will overcome that bad memory and associate something good with that. So those two studies that are um, that just finished, uh, two studies that just finished were conducted by a company called MAPS, and uh, they are in a process of getting it approved uh, to be used, uh, FDA approved to be used for PTSD. What we, there, there are a lot of that we don't have clarity or we just don't have answers yet. So MDMA is a drug, and it will be FDA approved as a drug to be used for patients in PTSD, but the way it's been studied over the last few years is alongside psychotherapy. But the psychotherapy part is not regulated by FDA. So how that whole thing will pan out, we're not quite sure, but we do know that it will get approved in the recent future, and so far, it has some really good outcomes um, in patients with PTSD. And, I mean, it's not a wonder drug. It's not going to cure everybody right away, and it does come with some significant side effects. Um, but it is beneficial or thought to be beneficial for patients who 
have not benefited so much from other traditional therapies. Thank you very much. <clears throat> very interesting. And again, uh, if people want more information, uh, there is a blog out there that uh, that goes into more even more depth. So let's wrap it up, uh, Dr. Bartlett. You've already touched on it a little bit, but COVID and the impact uh, certainly put a spotlight on PTSD. At the height of the pandemic, uh, prevalence, uh, the percentage was around 15%, but for those infected by COVID-19, this increased to 96% for symptoms consistent with PTSD. Now that we're almost halfway into 2023, have those numbers changed and where do we see them going? Okay, well, again, another very interesting question. Thank you for that. So, first of all, we know the pandemic is over officially, right? The World Health Organization and the, the CDC have declared that, which is good news. Um, but we really don't know yet how the numbers have changed. We do know that the pandemic certainly raised our awareness of how much mental health can be affected by social isolation and quarantine. And there were also a lot of strong feelings of guilt. Um, if someone in your family got it or if you brought it home and someone else got infected, all of these mental health issues, not just PTSD, have been spotlighted as a result of the pandemic. And therefore, um, as a result, there's so many more access points to mental health care and resources available, just like you heard from Dr. Hamoud, you know, being studied on psilocybin and MDMA. Um, so it's estimated that 6% of the U.S. population will have PTSD at some point of their life. Veterans are much more likely to have PTSD, as are women um, more likely because of traumatic relationships. And the hope, even though we don't have the clear-cut 2023 data yet, but the hope is that there's more information and treatment opportunities and options that create this environment to promote healing in this country and more of a coming together. And um, so that's, that's my hope for this. There's much more studies being done and medications being studied, and I think the future looks very, very hopeful. Well, thank you all three for being with us today to, to talk about this, uh, again, important topic. If someone out there feels like they need help, we encourage you to, to reach out uh, to your physician or uh, others to seek help. And, of course, uh, if you want more information on where Sedgwick is and what we do, uh, visit www.sedgwick.com. And, again, thank each of you for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much.